Are Oklahoma boosters more on board with Brent Venables than they ever were with Lincoln Riley? John and myself will discuss on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooners Nation? We are back, and we're just as excited to be here as you are. Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. For all of your sports betting needs, go to Bet Online, where they've got more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. Thank you for joining me. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John Nine Williams, and always joining me is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh On Ref. And you can also hear him from 9 to noon, Monday through Friday on 94.7 The Ref and Norman. Josh, what a weekend it was. we got some very interesting things to talk about on tonight's episode. What's going on, man? How you been? Everything good? Yeah, man. Everything has been pretty great. I'm in the midst of a seven-day stretch of work at my day job. If you are new to the show and you're not familiar, I'm a nurse also. And so I'm in the midst of seven straight 12-hour shifts. So if I do say a few things that are a little bit delirious that might be why but we're going to power through anyway because there's always something to talk about and it seems like a another site another content producer two plane sports jacob brumbaugh he kind of lit the world on fire a little bit today when um mentioned from the i found it from trojans wire uh, our guy matt zemek over there doing great work covering the trojans wrote a piece kind of outlining what Jacob said. And he said the amount of money and the renovations that they're starting to do with Brent Venables and the buy-in with the boosters and everything else is totally different than with Lincoln Riley. I saw this kind of just pop up on my Twitter feed. You know, sometimes Matt will send me articles and things like that because, you know, there's a lot of interest still in what's going on with Lincoln Riley and USC. But this one just kind of like, just as I'm scrolling Twitter, I'm like, oh, well, what's that? That's really interesting. Really? Okay. This is very interesting. I, I think there's there might be some merit to what he's saying, that there is a difference. But I don't know we can necessarily extrapolate what he's trying to say in this. Josh, what's kind of your take on, on what he had to say as it compares to Brent Venables and Lincoln Riley and maybe the commitment that's happening with the boosters? Well, that's a hefty accusation to begin with essentially to say that the Oklahoma boosters were never as on board with Lincoln Riley as they are right here, right now, before Brent Venables has coached a game again to start this Brent Venables era. So my initial reaction is, okay, if we're going to go that route, that's, that's something that's again, pretty heavy to say uh, negatively about Lincoln Riley. I would say there's definitely a great buy-in for Brent Venables right now. And that's not to take anything away from Lincoln Riley, who I think early on in his tenure, John, if we're being fair about this, with the way that that 2017 season played out. And I know that now we can revisionist history the thing to death and say, well, what went wrong in that second half of the Rose Bowl? Why the squib kick right before halftime? How could you have wasted that golden opportunity with Baker Mayfield, who winds up being a number one overall draft pick, obviously was the Heisman Trophy winner, 
and then you proceedingly got worse throughout your tenure. Again, revisionist history. In that moment, following the 2017 season, there was great optimism about what the Lincoln-Riley era would ultimately look like. It seemed like a seamless transition from Bob Stoops to Lincoln-Riley. So I don't know that it's totally fair to say that there, there wasn't buy-in from the boosters from, for Lincoln-Riley you know, throughout his tenure. Now, as it pertains to Brent Venables right here today, I think a couple of things can be true, John. I think, number one, the fan base and the boosters were over the moon excited that Oklahoma was the place that Brent Venables wanted to come back to, that OU was a place that was able to lure Brent Venables away from his perch as the defensive coordinator at Clemson. Nobody else had successfully done that. So that alone, I think, excites boosters. I think it excites the fan base. And we have seen a serious interest in some of the the stadium renovation projects. We've seen Oklahoma seemingly get a little bit more aggressive in the salaries that they're willing to dole out when you think about going out and bringing in Jeff Levy, when you think about what they've done with Ted Roof and across the board defensively. So I see a lot of that happening, but is that just strictly the boosters and Oklahoma are more engaged with Brent Venables? Or is that a little bit of a reaction to, oh, well, some of the demands that weren't met perhaps by Lincoln Riley now we need to, to meet those with Brent Venables. And I think that's a fair question to ask. Yeah, it's something we'll never really know as far as what the conversations were like between Lincoln Riley and Joseph Harris and Joe Castiglione as far as what Riley was expecting from the university. But we know that part of the reason that he went to USC is because of the, the support that he's going to get out there. Not that he wasn't supported at Oklahoma, but, I mean, the salary is going to be better. And – this is a program that is desperate to get back to national prominence. And so they're going to throw the full weight of their resources behind Lincoln Riley. Now there's a lot of other things that go into why he left. And I mean, we won't ever fully know all of those things lined out detailed, but what we do know is that yes, there is a difference. Like they are throwing a ton at improvements in facilities in stadium in uh, just the training, and you mentioned in the coaching, they expanded their support staff. I mean, they added a whole new like group of people for, through the Soul organization uh, in order to not just coach kids on the field, but to coach them in life. And this was a huge part of Brent Metals. I think a lot of what we can kind of grasp from some of this is that when Brent Venables was negotiating with Joseph Harris and Joe Castiglione, he had certain expe- expectations that he wanted met before he decided he was going to sign on the dotted line. He wanted certain assur- assurances and commitments from the university and probably from the, the boosters in that, hey, listen, if we're going to go compete in the SEC and you expect national championships like I do, and you expect us to compete at the highest level, this is what it's going to take. And unless we're willing to make the investments to get there, then I'm not sure that this is going to be the place for me. Does that necessarily mean that you know they would never do that for Lincoln Riley? It's hard to say. That we'll never know that. But I mean, we can say yes, there's a difference in what they're doing. But it could have just been like, hey, Brent Venables came in, he had a list of demands, he had a list of expectations. And I say demands, maybe a list of expectations as far as what he wanted the university's part to be in this, because and and he said it multiple times in this offseason. Everybody has to buy in from the fans to the players, to the coaches, 
to the university, to the boosters, everybody's got to have the same level, level of buy-in if they want to see the Oklahoma Sooners football program succeed at the highest levels. That's not to say there wasn't always buy-in. I will say there's a very different energy that comes from Brent Venables versus Lincoln Riley. Is Lincoln Riley a guy that like inspires? Not really. Is he a great coach? I know we're going to argue and there are going to be people in, in our, in our comment section on YouTube that are going to argue with this. He was a great, he was a good to great coach for the Oklahoma Sooners. I know it's not popular to say that. I know I'm going to get ripped for it. Feel free. It won't be the first time, but he was great. I mean, what he did offensively for the Sooners over those five seasons was really, really great football. I mean, and, and it's not a debate we're going to get into now, but he wasn't really a coach that like inspired you. You know what I mean? He didn't rally people. He didn't rally the fan base. And that's part of the reason why people were kind of like pissed off that he left and not really willing to kind of go to bat for the guy. But Brent Venables comes in and he's a guy that inspires. He rallies people. He rallies the fan base. He rallies the players. He rallies the coaches, rallies the alumni. He gets everybody in so that at the spring game, you're seeing record crowd of 75,000 people there for a spring game. And that could be the biggest difference in what's happening right now is that Brent Venables has the, the ability to rally and to inspire. And when you, when you're asking somebody to give you money, you need to believe in what you're investing in. And if you can't inspire and that's not Lincoln Riley's gift, he's not, that's not his skill set. He's not great actually in, in front of the public. He's just not. That's one of the ways he's the, probably the weakest uh, or one of his weaknesses at least. But Brent Venables, it's an absolute strength and he uses it like Thanos putting on the glove. Like it is one of his infinity stones, his ability to inspire. And I think we could just say, I mean, and I'm going to give you a chance to, to share your thoughts on this too, but I think that's a big, big difference in the, the investment that's being made in the Oklahoma Sooners football program is in Brent Venable's ability to inspire the community around Oklahoma Sooners football to buy in and invest. I love that you worked the Thanos reference in just right off the top there. Let's get that out of the way. But secondly, Lincoln Riley, in terms of inspiring a recruit's family or inspiring a recruit about what their future could look like at the University of Oklahoma or the University of Southern California, I think Lincoln Riley's really, really talented at that yeah. in terms of especially offensive recruits. But doing that with a recruit and with a recruit's family versus sitting in front of a group of donors and boosters and inspiring or selling them on the idea that, A, they should buy into your long-term vision of the program of where you're at, and B, that you're going to be a part of that program's future for the here now and well into the future. I mean, those are two totally different sales jobs. So I think it's worth pointing that part of it out. I'd also just say, you know, Joe Castiglione and President Harris were pretty pointed after Lincoln Riley left that they thought that the three of them were all on the same page, that the demands that Lincoln Riley had were about, if they hadn't been met, that they were about ready to be met. That's by the University point. of Oklahoma. So I think that's worth mentioning when we have this discussion on, okay, does Brent Venables have better support than Lincoln Riley had? Was it 
the aftermath or the aftershocks of Lincoln Riley leaving that led to Venables getting that type of support? Was it his demands coming in? I, again, uh, listening to Joe Castiglione and President Harris, they thought that everything was on the same page. Now, whether or not that was lip service in the public forum is up for interpretation, and that's fine, and we can do that in the YouTube comments. I welcome that. But I do think that's worth pointing out as well, that they publicly have stated they thought that everything was was that. And obviously we found out ultimately, at least from Lincoln Riley's perspective, that either A, that's not how he viewed it, or B, he thought USC was a better situation for him. Yeah, and it's it's hard to go now and look at the situation and kind of extrapolate what it all means because it, it's gone, it's in the past. And I know we I know we keep bringing up this discussion. I, I, I do think the pot the takeaway from this is that there is a heavy investment being made in Oklahoma Sooners athletics. I want to say like in, in not just football, we're seeing it in softball. And I think we're going to, we're seeing, we're seeing it in, you know, basketball. Like there's, there's plans to improve the Lloyd Noble center as well. Like this is just something that's happening, like seemingly across the board that there's a bigger investment being made into Oklahoma athletics. And I think a big part of that is the future move to the sec in that, listen, if we're going to compete, at the highest levels and in uh, in several sports we already do that but as a as a academic or sorry as an athletic program universally we have to support the whole program holistically we have to put it uh, on a, at a in a place that's elite among the very best in the country not just in football not just in softball but across the board and i think and I think part of what you're seeing with Brent Venables and Porter Mosier showing up to all these different events is not just them being there to support, but them showing buy-in to the athletic department, to the university, not just to their program or to showing up on a Saturday, but like Brent Venables telling his players, get out there and watch Oklahoma softball. You want to learn what it looks like to be a champion? Go watch these girls play. And so I, I think that's, to me, a, a bit of a breath of fresh air. Like this is a, a a holistic look at the athletic department, and everybody is buying in, not just to football, but to the whole thing. And I think that's going to help Oklahoma as it moves down the line. Any other thoughts on this that you want to talk about? No, I think we ran the gambit. I would just off your final point right there say, I think that's positive for yeah. Oklahoma football. I don't think there's anything wrong. Like insulating yourself and saying, yeah, we don't really care what's going on with Oklahoma softball, a softball or gymnastics or baseball. I think that's the wrong approach. And I think not that Lincoln Riley had that approach. I just think right now it's positive for OU fans that you can sit there and see that Brent Venables clearly has been out in front and said, look, I want to learn from what Oklahoma softball is doing. My players should want to learn from what these other programs are doing. They know how to win. They're showing you how to win. And that's what we want to try and emulate. And I still remember you know, the spring game and then several press conferences where Brent Venables, like the first thing he talked about was how great these other programs are performing, you know, whether it was uh, softball or gymnastics or basketball, or, you know, he was making sure to put them out front before ever talking football. And I thought that that's just really cool. Like the guy that is like the figurehead, I mean, Joe Castiglione is the head of the athletic department, but the guy that's the figurehead, Brent Venables, the face of the, of the athletic department, he's out there promoting 
these other sports. And I, I think that's fantastic for the university and, and probably why there's just, again, we keep using the word buy-in probably why there's just bigger buy-in. You've got a better cheerleader in Brent Venables than you did in Lincoln Riley. And that's the last we're going to say on that one. But coming up next, we've got some more interesting news nuggets. We're going to talk baseball in the third segment, but uh, an ESPN executive, Richard Deitch, uh, spoke to a newspaper and shared his thoughts on, or actually spoke to the athletic and shared his thoughts on Oklahoma's and Texas's future in going to the SEC. But first, I want to talk to you about Bet Online. It's your number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your podcasts, your news, everything else this season. So go to BetOnline.net. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. And you can still get in on College World Series odds as well. I hope you did like I did and you took that Oklahoma plus 700. It's looking pretty, pretty good right about now. So make sure you go to Bet Online. That's where the game starts. All right, Josh. So there's always going to be a debate and a discussion about when Oklahoma and the University of Texas are moving to the SEC. I'm of the mind that it's 2023. I've got no inside information that tells me that. I've got no uh, tea leaves except the idea that when you are breaking up with somebody or you you are getting a divorce, you don't stay in the same house for the next three years. And so I think that they're still heading in 2023. So Richard Deitch, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, uh, sorry, in an interview with The Athletics' Richard Deitch, ESPN chairman Jimmy Patero reaffirmed that Texas and Oklahoma will indeed remain in the Big 12 until 2025. Um, mostly, he's there talking about the media rights deals and that you know Oklahoma and Texas have this media rights agreement with uh, several networks and through the 2024 season that frees them up after 2025. Josh, just kind of your initial takeaway from this. What are you thinking? Where do you stand on when Oklahoma is exiting the Big 12? Well, first off for ESPN chairman, Mr. Pitaro, this to me reeks, and I just think is CYA mode, because ESPN at the very beginning of all of this, remember Bob Bowlesby got out in front and basically ordered a cease. I mean, he, he didn't basically, he ordered a cease and desist to ESPN, who he thought was tampering with Oklahoma and Texas, trying to spearhead an early departure for these two universities to the SEC. So to me, this is very much getting out in front of some of the potential legal proceedings that could still follow with Oklahoma and Texas's exit from the Big 12 Conference. Actually, these comments from uh, the ESPN chairman has me more convinced than ever that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving earlier than that assigned grant of rights date for him to comment publicly tells me he's planning strategically what ESPN needs out in the public sphere and what their next course or set of actions will be for Oklahoma and Texas's early departure. Yeah. Cause he can't come out and just be like, yeah, they're going to come and they're going to the sec in 2023 because that would kind of, 
make that would lead to the accusation like that would make everybody believe the accusation that ESPN is part of the kind of quote unquote the collusion that's taking Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. Oklahoma and Texas have to be careful about this because again, they're still committed to the Big 12 and they still have media rights agreements. These are contracts. Break the contracts and they could be held liable in a court of law. Now you can always negotiate out of those contracts, there's buyout opportunities and things like that. And in negotiations, you never give away your negoti- your negotiation stance. Like you don't give away like, yeah, we're trying to leave in 2023 because what does that do to the, for the Big 12? The Big 12 just says, okay, cool. We've got some more leverage here. If you're not willing to wait till 2025, then you're going to have to pay. Oh, but if somebody came out and said it's 2024, then okay, maybe you don't have to pay as much, but you're going to stick around for another year. Anytime that anybody mentions that Oklahoma and Texas are going to exit early, it almost seems like not long after you hear a response like, no, we're not. We're, we're staying until 2025 because you don't want to give away your negotiation, like your, your negotiation position, your negotiating position. Again, sixth of seventh days of 12-hour shifts. Um, and that's where I kind of feel this lands is like, you don't give away the farm. The ESPN executive has really nothing to do with the negotiations. So it's not in his interest to share what's really going to happen. And, and he can even act like, I don't know, like, I didn't know what was going on. And that's the best place to be. Because like you said, it's, it's CYA, cover yourself, (laughs) cover your A. Like you don't want to give it away. He might know, he might not know. But just like with this whole move to the SEC, like nobody knew anything for the eight months that it was being negotiated until it finally happened. And if you're in a big time negotiation that's going to have big time financial ramifications, you don't let anything leak. You don't let it out there because that's going to hurt you and your negotiations in the long run. Well, and let's keep in mind too that ESPN – has extended its relationship with the University of Oklahoma through the third tier rights with ESPN+. Plus. So while that contract on the third tier rights with the University of Oklahoma, there's no subsection in it that says, oh, and here's your buyout money from right. the Big 12 Conference to get to the SEC. They can't have that in the contract. There can be some little, you know, wink, wink, Shrug, hey, uh, here's a little extra cash in this deal to get you to the SEC. I just, again, these public comments, the fact that Oklahoma has that third-tier rights deal now with ESPN+, Plus, I just think all of the writing is on the wall from ESPN that they're really trying to get Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC before the grant of rights expires. Now, it's my understanding that ESPN – has the television coverage of the SEC beginning in the 2024 football season. So maybe it's not as soon as this time next fall when we're talking about Oklahoma and Texas actually playing in the SEC. Maybe it is the start of that 2024 season. I just, John, remain in the standpoint that I'm going to be absolutely shocked if Oklahoma and Texas play out the remainder of this grant of rights in the Big 12 Conference. I don't see that happening under – any circumstance. I just don't see that being the way this plays out for either OU or Texas. I don't think that's how ESPN wants this to play out. They want these two properties that they're about to have the rights to in the SEC. They want them in the SEC as soon as that television deal starts. And I don't think it's going to be something that Texas and Oklahoma want either. 
And if they want it bad enough, they'll find the money to be able to get out of their big 12 media rights agreements and into the SEC. One of the things that's going to that's kind of holding this up and holding up potential any potential negotiations is that the Big 12 is still looking for a commissioner. Bob Bowlesby has stepped down. He's kind of in the interim as they as they hunt and find a new commissioner. Most people don't think it's going to happen until like mid-July. The Big 12 media days are July 13th and 14th, so it's probably a good time in which we'll find out who the next Big 12 commissioner is going to be. But I don't think we'll see any movement on this until after there's a new commissioner in place that can be kind of part of those negotiations to create an exit that works both for Texas, Oklahoma, and for the Big 12. Uh, man, it's it's so fascinating, and I don't know. I'm not a business person. I never dealt with big-time contracts, but I just love this stuff. It's part of the thing I loved about the NFL is just like the salary caps and the TV rights deals and watching just the money just explode. And that's what's happening in college football too. So like while Oklahoma and Texas are going to have big buyouts, it's going to be fine because down the road in their SEC payouts, they're going to be getting pretty good money. And it may not fully cover it in year one, but by year two, they'll be fully you know, flush on whatever buyout they have to pay to the Big 12 to exit. Josh, we got baseball. The Oklahoma Sooners are headed to the semifinals of the College World Series after a big weekend, and we'll talk about that next. But first, let me talk to you about some other great Locked On podcasts, Locked On events. We got NBA Draft Night coming up. The entire NBA channel is going live on NBA Draft Night. So if you have a favorite NBA team, make sure you subscribe now to the Locked On, their Locked On YouTube channel so you get notified when they go live on NBA Draft Night. We're in Oklahoma, so I'm sure there's a lot of great Oklahoma Thunder, Oklahoma City Thunder fans out there. Make sure you're checking out the Locked On Thunder podcast with our guy Ryland Styles, the phenomenal Ryland Styles. And if you're like me, you're a Dallas Mavericks fan, make sure you go check out Nick Angstat on the Locked On Mavericks podcast. So, Josh, big weekend for the Oklahoma Sooners. Went 2-0, stayed in the winner's bracket by beating Texas A&M 13-8 on Friday and beating Notre Dame 6-2 on Sunday. Josh, just give me your takeaway, kind of your biggest takeaway from the weekend. I think Oklahoma's going to be playing for a national championship is my big takeaway. The fact that they're 2-0 and one win away from the national championship series – I think they've got a bunch of different options with now who they can throw in this this game versus either Notre Dame or Texas A&M again that would get them into the championship series. David Sandlin, I know that the relief appearance versus A&M will have you scratching your head a little bit, but that is an option. Really, you could bring Jake Bennett back on short rest if you wanted to. Trevin Michael could be an option if they want to take him out of that closer role, though he's been great for Oklahoma in that department in this College World Series. Four and two-thirds innings pitched for Trevin Michael. He's only surrendered the three hits, one walk, four Ks, and he's allowed – yeah, that's right, a big fat goose egg, zero earned runs in that closing role. So it typifies when you get to this stage, right, that Trevin Michael, somebody like that, your closer, all of a sudden it's not coming – and get three turned into a little bit longer closing stay for Michael in those first two games. So maybe that's something OU would be bashful to do to actually throw him in a starting role to advance to the championship series. But uh, obviously, I mean, these first couple of games, 
it doesn't go down as a quality start for Jake Bennett because he surrendered four earned runs. But, man, you get six innings pitched. You only give up the four earned runs. With the way OU's swinging the bats right now, they might have to reinvent the quality start stat for OU baseball because as far as things are going with Peyton Graham and Tanner Treadway and just up and down the lineup, the contributions that they're getting from everybody, if OU gets six innings and four earned runs given up by their starter, probably they're going to be winning the baseball game the way OU's going right now. Kate Horton was amazing versus Notre Dame. We know that he's been working his way back, John, from the Tommy John surgery. And what does he do? Lo and behold, on the biggest stage in college baseball, he has a career-high 11 strikeouts and throws a career-high 100 pitches. So as far as where I'm standing right now or sitting in this Lockdown Suitors episode, I kind of think OU's the favorite now in this Men's College World Series. Knock on wood, but, man, the way they're playing right now, the way they're swinging the bats and pitching and just everything that's going on with OU baseball, I mean, it's hard not to feel that way. Yeah, I mean, so Stanford, the number two team in the country, got eliminated. And Oklahoma's beat the remaining highest seed in Texas A&M. They, they just look great. They, they, they're playing really well-rounded baseball. You know, on, on Friday night, they got seven runs with two outs in the second inning. That was just amazing to me. It's just a just relentless pressure that they're putting on teams. They got a three-run home run from Jimmy Crooks, a grand slam from Jackson Nicholas of all places. Um, and then in the win over Notre Dame, no home runs. They manufacture six runs, uh, have several walks. They get two runs on a sacrifice squeeze uh, that forces a throwing error. And, and I think that's what's great about this lineup is they just put pressure on you in their ability to just take pitches and be patient and make you throw strikes in their ability to run the bases the way that they run the bases and, and just the way they execute. You know, um, it was in the, the Friday game uh, against uh, Texas A&M. You know, Peyton Graham, they're talking about it on the broadcast where maybe he doesn't hit the, the breaking ball as well. And so what does Texas A&M's pitcher do? They throw nothing but breaking balls. He gets to an 0-2 count, sees a third breaking ball. What's he do? He just slaps it through the gap between first and second to get an RBI. Like, just really solid execution. You know, he, he's your home run leader. He's got 20 home runs on the season, 71 RBIs now. But he's not up there trying to hit a home run. He sees the pitch. He knows he's got to put contact on the ball. And he just slaps it right up the, you know, right between the hole. And, that, and that's exactly what you want to see from one of your best players. It's just execution. And you got to give credit to Skip Johnson, man. This is a guy who's kind of had a little bit of fire under him. Like people were trying to put him on the hot seat at times. But he has his team executing near flawlessly. You know, the way that they run the bases. I know they had a couple outs at third base the other night, uh, but you can't help, you can't fault them for being aggressive. Sometimes that works out for you. Sometimes it doesn't. But if you play aggressively, then you don't have to second guess yourself when you're rounding the bases. You just know I'm, I'm going, I'm getting ready to go unless he stops me. I'm not looking to stop and then potentially miss out on an opportunity because I was looking to stop. And then all of a sudden now he's waving me around. I love the aggressive mindset that they're playing with. You mentioned it, Jake Bennett, Kate Horton. When you're getting quality pitching like they're getting and you can swing the bats like they get, then you're near unbeatable because, yes, you talked about you know uh, Bennett's four earned runs allowed. Well, that was really only on two hits. He allowed two home runs for those four runs. Otherwise, he was fantastic. And then you know Horton, again, was amazing. And you know this is just a freshman. Like This team is so young, and they're playing at a level like 
kind of beyond their years. I feel like with just the way that they play, their energy, their aggressiveness, their execution, um, and just their situational hitting, the way that they're able to hit with runners in scoring position, hitting over 300 with runners in scoring position in the two games, and the hitting with two outs is just phenomenal to me. Well, and one of the popular questions I've been asked, not just with 94.7 The Ref, but to go on down in Louisiana on a couple of radio shows. And the popular question has been a couple of times, you know, when when did this click for OU? And, I mean, the obvious answer is just the five regular season series they won to close the season. I think the interesting question for me, John, is not necessarily – Well, it looks like Josh is frozen for a second. We're going to hope to get him back so we can finish this fantastic point. Um, but this baseball team, they, they've clicked in a lot of ways. Josh, you were, you were starting to say where they clicked for you before you cut out. Why don't you continue that thought for us? Yeah, sorry about that. No, uh, I just think the interesting question with Oklahoma isn't necessarily when this team totally clicked and started playing baseball. I think the interesting question is, when did this team start believing they can win a national championship? Because right now they in Omaha look like a team that 100% believes not only that they can win a national championship, but maybe that they're about to be on the verge of doing just that. I love that you mentioned the free passes, which we talk so much about this team's ability to swipe bags and steal bases. They've got 145 now on the season in that department, but I have been struck, John, again, as you mentioned, by this team's patience at the plate. They walked six more times on Sunday versus Notre Dame. They now have 368 free passes on the season, which is fourth nationally. So they're just doing so many little things well. Yes. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to, you know, especially at this stage, because they're all good teams. Even though it's the unranked teams that are advancing right now in the College World Series, it's it's – the difference between winning and losing is the little things that you do well. And, and Oklahoma is doing all the little things. Well, situational hitting with two outs, hitting with runners in scoring position, getting on base. I mean, what, what is it? The money ball thing? What are we trying to do? Get on base. Like that, that's, that's what we're trying to do. And the, the, the positive byproduct of taking walks is that you're working pitchers. You know, the, the Texas A&M pitcher, like he was deep, into his pitch count by like the second inning and they had to pull him like the, the Notre Dame pitcher same for him. Like within two, three innings, he's already hit like 40, 50 pitches because these guys are taking a lot of pitches and they're getting on base. And and that's how you win games. You know, yes, the home runs, they matter. Yes. You know, pitching is great. You got to score runs. And this team is scoring runs at a better clip than just about anybody in the country right now. And I'm with you, Josh, this is a, I'm curious. I'd be curious to know, like, from that locker room, when they when did they think, yeah, we can go win this thing? I want to think it was the Big 12 tournament when they just went on that run, beat Texas to win the Big 12 tournament title. I think that's really what kind of springboarded this springboarded this team. But it could have happened long before, you know, when they played so well against Texas Tech, uh, when they beat TCU, when they you know took a series from Kansas State. Like there could have been a lot of moments in this run, but. It's been, man, it's been such an incredible run. And now the Sooners, they await the loser of, sorry, the winner of the losers matchup between Texas A&M and Notre Dame, two teams that Oklahoma's already beat. 
who who would you throw out there, Josh, if you were going to be selecting the starter for that game on Wednesday at noon? I think probably David Sandlin. To me, he's the obvious choice. I think you you want to set it up to where you have Jake Bennett for that first game of the championship series. And I think my you know my other choice would just be let's let's just roll with Trevin Michael. But he's been so dominant and so good in that closing role that do you want to remove him from that role? So that's probably where I say, okay, let's give David Sandlin a chance to send the Sooners into the national championship series. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. I, you know, I think part of what happened, we talked about it a little bit in the DM, like why would you put him out there in the game the other day? I think maybe just to get his confidence back from the, the, uh, Blacksburg super regional, you know, they, that middle start, he didn't pitch very well. And uh, Virginia tech kind of, you know, got to him a little bit. Maybe, you know, skip was just trying to get him out there, let him get a couple innings in get his feet wet in the college world series and then plan to start him. I think that's an interesting choice. I think the strategy of setting up your rotation to where you have Jake Bennett and Cade Horton available in the championship series. I think that's really, really clever. Another name that if you want to look under the radar, maybe a Chaz Martinez, He's had several starts for the Sooners at different times this year. Had a great start early in the season that led him, that earned him a pitcher of the week in the Big 12. But it's, you know, he's been mostly a relief pitcher of late. I think that could be an interesting choice as well. I like the Trevor Michael idea, but again, he's been so good out of the bullpen. Like when you need outs, you go to Trevor Michael and he's been nails, man. And, and so I, I could see them going a lot of different routes. It's going to be really interesting to see how that lineup stacks up on Wednesday at noon versus the winner of Notre Dame versus Texas A&M, and we'll have you covered on that. Make sure you stay tuned for the show this week. Got a couple big interviews in the works. They're quasi-confirmed at the moment. We'll lock down times for them, but a, a commit, a recent commit for the Oklahoma Sooners and a recent transfer for the Oklahoma Sooners. I'll just leave you with those teases right there. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Make sure you follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. Also on YouTube, subscribe to the show over there. Make sure you follow Josh on Twitter at JoshOnRef and listen to him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can also read my work covering the Oklahoma Sooners over at thesoonerswire.com. Until next time, he's Josh. I'm John. Boomer Sooner.